Going to the movies is a special treat for me these days, and to be honest, it's mostly animated features with the kids. Not complaining, but when I do get to see a grown-up film, I'd assumed that I was seeing the whole film. The truth is, though, Australia's classification system sometimes chops out parts of a movie before they hit our screens. There is a rich and sometimes ridiculous history of cinematic censorship here, and it is the subject of writer and critic Simon Morado's new work, Book of the Band. Hi, Simon. Good morning. Welcome to Life Matters. Uh, I would assume, I had assumed that I'd have noticed if we'd been banning films in Australia very often, but um, am I right? Has it happened recently? It hasn't happened. A, a banning of a film hasn't happened um, in the last few years, there are, are still absolutely bannings that take place. Um, but what's interesting is we have this sort of 100-year-old history of censorship. I mean, we have a 100-year-old history of film, ultimately. <laughs> so basically, since the very earliest days of film in Australia, the censorship board, as it was known, was pretty uh, pretty liberal in, in in tearing films to shreds and taking out offending bits and bobs. But I have to say, even in 2023, we've sort of fostered this environment. There's been this chilling effect where a lot of distributors now will self-censor their films before they come to Australia for a more lenient rating. And I can point to Killers of the Flower's Moon, the new Scorsese film coming out this week. It was originally classified MA, then the distributor cut out a little bit to get an M rating. So if you and, and I'm a parent too. If if we get a chance to go to the cinema in the next couple of weeks when the when the babysitter is looking after the kids, we're actually going to see a compromised version of Martin Scorsese's latest film. That's interesting. I just saw uh, Haunting in Venice on the weekend, the Kenneth Branagh mm. vehicle about Poirot, uh, uh, the latest instalment, and there was an impalement on a piece of classical art. And I must admit, I thought to myself, I, I wonder what this film should be classified as. That's pretty gory. <laughs> And it's it's that balance, right? It, it certainly, you know, and I'm obviously passionate about anti-censorship. That's why I've written this book. But I totally understand that classification is a really valuable tool. It, it means that there are, there are people who can watch a film before us and say, look, this is what you can expect. And maybe don't bring your nine-year-old along to A Haunting in Venice or Killers of the Flowers Moon or whatever it might be. But in theory, once you're 18, once you're an adult – uh, there should be very, very limited instances where 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 Australians are basically kept from seeing films. And I'm talking about artistic works here, right? I'm not talking about, you know, actual footage of atrocities. And so when a movie like Killers of the Flowers Moon or Renfield or the Francois Ozon film The Crime is Mine, these are all 2023 releases. All these movies were self-censored by the distributor this year just to get that lower rating, when ultimately they're only going to be seen by adults anyway. That's really interesting. We're speaking with Simon Murado. His new book, Book of the Band, looks at the really interesting history of censorship in Australia and self-censorship. What are the things, have the things that the censors chop out changed over the years, Simon? Yes and no. And I think, you know, if you go back to the very, very early days, I mean, we had censorship in Australia censorship of films before we were a federated nation, right? It, it began in 1896 um, when it came to the, the slashing and, and cutting of films. But it's always interesting looking back as I did through the years. And there were movies like Breathless, you know, a rolled gold classic film by Jean-Luc Godard that was banned for immorality. Really? And all, yes. <laughs> and All Quiet on the Western Front 
that came out during World War II. It was banned for its pacifism. You couldn't have a pacifistic war film while the war effort was currently going on. Okay. Now, those are, are classic films, but obviously things like violence, sex, coarse language, these have always rankled the censors. Uh, queer themes have, have always been uh, problematic for the censors. And unfortunately, we do still see reflections of that today, largely due to the conservative pressure groups who have always existed and who have always made the argument that films uh, almost exist to corrupt the youth of today. <laughs> I was fascinated to see too that our beloved Margaret Pomerantz had uh, stepped into the fray at one point with a, a recent <laughs> uh, refusal of classification. What happened there? Yeah, Margaret uh, is, is a great example of one of the great sort of freedom fighters in the anti-censorship campaign. And I spoke to her for the book. Um, and people may not remember this, but about 20 years ago, she was absolutely infuri infuriated that a movie called Ken Park had been banned in Australia. So this is 2003, you know, recent history. Um, so what she did was she, she got the DVD of it and she put on a screening at Balmain Town Hall. And basically the cops stormed the, the screening and tried to arrest the DVD, confiscate the DVD, and they detained Margaret as well. But as I, as I said to Margaret um, during our interview, I think she should have ch chosen a better location because Balmain Town Hall is about 50 metres from the local police station. Oh, damn. Yeah, planning, <laughs> planning is everything in these th situations. Well, how do the classifiers work out what is okay and what is not? What's the process, Simon? Well, again, the process has changed over the years, but it's always remained consistent in one way in that there's about two or three people that watch a film. And in this day and age, and I spoke to the most recent um, uh, director of the censorship board or classification board, as they'd want to be known, basically two people sit in the cinema, they watch a film and they just keep writing. They just write things down every two minutes, anything that's happening. And what they're doing is they're looking for the six classifiable elements, which are violence, nudity, sex, you know, adult themes, uh, coarse language, uh, drug use, you know, anything that might be aggravating. And then they basically rate the impact of those classifiable elements. And based on the legislation and based on the guidelines, that'll yield either a PG or an M or an MA or an R18 rating or a G rating for everyone. How objective and is that process of working out the impact? Like, I, I would like to know that the people making these judgments are qualified to make those judgments. Well, you've actually hit on that. That is the exact question and that we all need to be sort of aware of. Who is doing the classifying? And it's very timely that we're having this conversation now because they're looking for new classifiers. The job ad literally went up about a week and a half ago <laughs> looking for people to take this job on. And over the decades, over the century, it's been unfortunate that in the early days and even up until very recently, they weren't really getting film thinkers on board. They were trying to be reflective of the community, but ultimately, you know, you were getting people who erred towards conservatism. People who were very um, conservative, often they were um, part of religious groups or, or wowser groups, pressure groups such as those. Um, there were times where there was like an Olympian and a TV personality and, and all these sort of odd assortments of folks. And thankfully now they do have people 
who put film at the forefront. Um, but I will say that Margaret Anderson, who I interviewed, the former director of the classification board, and she had her head screwed on as, as well as you'd want any classifier. But she came from the penal system. Her prior job was classifying prisoners as to whether they should go in a low, medium or maximum security prison. So it's always interesting to find out who is actually behind the classifying of films in Australia. Yes, as you said, I think in the book, we love our rules in Australia, however much we <laughs> might like to think of ourselves as free and easy. Well, and then, you know, becomes the the advent of the streaming services. Is classification working in a consistent way across those platforms as well? No, it's really not. And that's where I found myself, you know, going through this process as a film critic, a film fan, going, oh, I'm going to expose all the censorship and all the all the wowserism and, and absolutely exposing our national identity as one that really does love rules and is offended often. But what I found was that in the last five, ten years with the advent of streaming, we've sort of entered this new wild west where the rules as they've existed, questionable as they may be, are completely thrown out the window. And you've got a bunch of streaming services that are now regularly breaking the law because they're uploading films and TV series without getting them classified. And they're also, uh, there is a case with Netflix where Netflix is actually allowed in the Australian legislation to classify their own movies. But the classification is being done in California, in Silicon Valley. And what they found was over a period of time, Netflix was accidentally reclassifying already classified movies. And they were doing so more conservatively than us. So movies like Moonlight went from M to MA and Halloween went from MA to R because even though Australia's a very conservative nation, <laughs> as much as we would like to think otherwise, America's even worse. And wow. so we've got this little drift of our social mores just by the simple fact of letting uh, Netflix classify their content for us. So how are Australia's free-to-air TV providers feeling about this uh, uploading of unclassified material? Well, most of them are, are sort of blasé about it. So um, most of the TV that we watch is classified um, in a different manner. They don't go through the classification board. But the ABC um, did specifically complain about the Netflix issue. Um, there was a review into the classification system in February 2020. How's that for timing? Um, so it was ultimately shelved for three years. But when they were taking submissions for it, the ABC identified the problem here and said, look, you are shifting the cultural mores by letting Netflix, letting Americans classify our films for us. And one of the examples was they classified a Steven Soderbergh film called High Flying Bird M for nudity. Now, that's an M-rated movie. That's fine. But they said M for nudity. And what was revealed was the nudity was a scene of Kyle MacLachlan, a male actor, in a sauna. You could see his man boobs. And to an American, they thought that that was an impactful scene of nudity. And that's a, a, just one example of how we compare, at the very least, to the US. No, it might be impactful to Twin Peaks fans, I guess. The nostalgia has <laughs> taken a hit there. Uh, what's the future of classification in Australia, Simon? I understand there might be some uh, digital technologies brought to bear soon. Yes, and I'm I'm still toying with the fact uh, or with the, with the question whether this is heartening or terrifying. I lean towards terrifying, but basically, I think we are drifting eventually to an AI solution. Primarily because streaming is just this constant beast that feeds us content. Right? There's so much to classify. So the Australian uh, government last year 
authorised the trial of a tool called SphereX. It's an AI tool that says, feed me your content and I will produce a rating that's consistent with your country's social mores. Oh, that's not problematic at all. (laughs) Exactly. And it's going to use machine learning to constantly improve and to give a classification across multiple countries. That sounds very scary to me. And ultimately, as my book argues, over the last 100 years, it's ultimately down to who's classifying, and that's where the problematic nature of classification comes down to. But I'll take a human over a machine almost any day of the week. Well, and just to finish up with Simon, there's also the issue of when something gets classified a particular way but then challenged. Someone's texted in saying, what about sexism in classification? Rebel Wilson challenged the classification of her movie and was successful. Can you summarise that for us? Yeah, I'm not aware of the Rebel Wilson example, but certainly you can you can challenge a classification and then it goes to the review board. Um, it usually costs about $10,000 to do this. So it, it's not it's not to be taken lightly. And usually it's done by major um, distributors. One example was Rocket Man, the Elton John biopic that used the C word. And in Australia, usage of the C word actually gets you an automatic MA. But the, the, the distributor of that challenged it got it to an M, whereas the Australian Dream, the Adam Goods doco, that was a madman release, that was slapped with an MA for the exact same reason, and they didn't challenge it because they didn't, well, they couldn't necessarily spend that extra money. And so now you've got an M and an MA movie for the same reason, but uh, ultimately, because of who can spend the money, uh, they have different outcomes. Yeah, some equity issues there. Look, it's just been fascinating learning a bit more about who decides and how they decide what we can see. Simon, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Simon Murado, film critic and author of a book called Book of the Band, Devilish Movies, Dastardly Senses and the Scenes That Made Australia Sweat. Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.